0: Book three of the Iliad of Homer rendered into English blank verse by Edward Earl of Derby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michael Armenta. Argument. The duel of Menelaus and Paris. The armies being ready to engage. A single combat is agreed upon between Menelaus and Paris, by the intervention of Hector, for the determination of the war. Iris is sent to call Helen to behold the fight. She leads her to the walls of Troy, where Priam sat with his counsellors, observing the Grecian leaders on the plain below, to whom Helen gives an account of the chief of them the kings on either part take the solemn oath for the conditions of the combat the duel ensues wherein paris being overcome is snatched away in a cloud by venus and transported to his apartment she then calls helen from the walls and brings the lovers together agamemnon on the part of the grecians demands the restoration of helen and the performance of the articles the 3 and 20th day still continues throughout this book the scene is sometimes in the fields before troy and sometimes in troy itself when by when by their several chiefs the troops were ranged with noise and clamour as a flight of birds the men of Troy advanced, as when the cranes Flying the wintry storms send forth on high Their dissonant clamours, while o'er the ocean They steer their course, and on their pinions Bear battle and death to the pygmian race. On the other side the Greeks in silence moved, Breathing firm courage. Bent on mutual aid. As when the south wind O'er the mountain-tops spreads a thick veil of mist, The shepherd's bane, and friendly to the knightly thief alone, That a stone's throw the range of vision bounds, So rose the dust-cloud as in serried ranks With rapid step they moved across the plain but when the opposing forces near were met a panther's skin across his shoulders flung armed with his bow and sword in front of all advanced the godlike paris in his hand he poised two brass-tipped javelins and defied to mortal combat all the chiefs of greece him when the warlike menelaus saw with haughty strides, advancing from the crowd, as when a lion, hunger pinched, espies some mighty beast of chase, or antlered stag, or mountain goat, and with exulting spring strikes down his prey, and on the carcass feeds, unscared by baying hounds and eager youths, so. Menelaus saw with fierce delight the godlike Paris for he deemed that now his vengeance was at hand and from his car he leaped upon the plain but when the godlike Paris saw him spring defiant from the ranks with quailing heart back to his comrades sheltering crowd he sprang in fear of death as when some traveller spies coiled in his path upon the mountain-side a deadly snake back he recoils in haste, his limbs all trembling, and his cheek all pale, so back recoiled in fear of Atreus' son, the godlike Paris, mid the Trojan host, to whom, in stern rebuke, thus Hector spoke thou wretched paris though in form so fair thou slave of woman manhood's counterfeit would thou hadst ne'er been born or died at least unwedded so twere better far for all than thus to live a scandal and reproach well may the long haired greeks triumphant boast who think thee from thine outward show a chief among our warriors but thou hast in truth nor strength of mind nor courage in the fight how wast that such as thou could e'er induce a noble band in ocean-going ships To cross the main with men of other lands, Mixing in amity, and bearing thence A woman, fair of face, by marriage ties, Bound to a race of warriors, To thy sire, thy state, thy people, Cause of endless grief, Of triumph to thy foes, contempt to thee, durst thou the warlike menelaus meet thou to thy cost should learn the might of him whose bride thou didst not fear to bear away then shouldst thou find of small avail thy lyre or Venus's gifts of beauty and of grace or trampled in the dust thy flowing hair but too forbearing are the men of troy else for the ills that thou hast wrought the state ere now thy body had in stone been cased. to whom the godlike paris thus replied hector i needs must own thy censure just nor without cause Thy dauntless courage knows, nor pause, nor weariness, But as an axe that in a strong man's hand, Who fashions out some naval timber, With unabated edge cleaves the firm wood, And aids the striker's force, Even so unwearied is thy warlike soul. Yet blame not me for golden Venus's gifts, The gifts of heaven are not to be despised, which heaven may give but man could not command but if thou wilt that i should dare the fight bid that the trojans and the grecians all be seated on the ground and in the midst the warlike menelaus and myself stand front to front for helen and the spoils of war to combat and where shall prove the better man in conflict? Let him bear the woman and the spoils in triumph home while ye the rest, in peace and friendship, sworn shall still possess the fertile plains of Troy, and to their native Argos they return for noble steeds and lovely women famed he said. And Hector joyed to hear his words, forth in the midst he stepped, and with his spear grasped by the middle, stayed the Trojan ranks at him. The long-haired grecians bent their bows, prompt to assail with arrows and with stones. but loud the monarch Agamemnon's voice was heard hold argives hold ye sons of greece shoot not for hector of the glancing helm hath as it seems some message to impart he said they held their hands and silent stood expectant till to both thus hector spoke Hear now ye trojans and ye well-grieved greeks the words of paris cause of all this war he asks through me that all the host of troy and grecian warriors shall upon the ground lay down their glittering arms while in the midst the warlike menelaus and himself stand front to front for Helen and the spoils of war to combat, and whoe'er shall prove the better man in conflict, let him bear the woman and the spoils in triumph home, while we the rest firm peace and friendship swear. Thus. Hector spoke, the rest in silence heard, but Menelaus, bold in fight, replied, Hear now my answer. In this quarrel I may claim the chiefest share, And now I hope Trojans and Greeks may see the final close Of all the labours ye so long have borne, to avenge my wrong at Paris' hand sustain'd? And of us two which e'er is doom'd to death, so let him die. The rest depart in peace. Bring then two lambs, one white, the other black, for Tellus and for Sol. We, on our part, will bring another for saturnian jove and let the majesty of priam too appear himself to consecrate our oaths for reckless are his sons and void of faith that none jove's oath may dare to violate for young men's spirits are too quickly stirred but in the councils checked by reverend age alike are weighed the future and the past, and for all interests due provision made, he said, and Greeks and Trojans gladly heard, in hopes of respite from the weary war. They ranged their cars in ranks, and they themselves descending Doffed their arms and laid them down close each by each with narrow space between. Two heralds to the city Hector sent to bring the lambs and aged Priam call, while Agamemnon to the hollow ships their lamb to bring in haste Talthybius sent. He heard and straight the monarch's voice obey'd meantime to white-arm'd helen iris sped the heavenly messenger in form she seem her husband's sister whom antenor's son the valiant helicaean had to wife laodice of priam's daughters all loveliest of face she in her chamber found her whom she sought. A mighty web she wove, of double wool and brilliant hues, Whereon was interwoven many a toilsome strife Of Trojan warriors and of brass-clad Greeks, For her encountered at the hand of Mars. Beside her Iris stood, and thus she spoke come sister dear and see the glorious deeds of trojan warriors and of brass-clad greeks they who erewhile impatient for the fight rolled o'er the plain the woeful tide of war now silent sit the storm of battle hushed reclining on their shields their lances bright beside them reared while paris in the midst and warlike menelaus stand prepared with the long spear for thee to fight thyself the prize of conquest and the victor's wife thus as she spoke in helen's breast Arose fond recollection of her former lord, her home and parents o'er her head she threw a snowy veil, and shedding tender tears, she issued forth, not unaccompanied, for with her went fair Ethra, Pytheus's child, and stag-eyed Clymene, her maidens twain they. Quickly at the Sian Gate arrived. Attending there on aged Priam sat the elders of the city, Panthous and Lampus and Thymetes, Clytius, bold Ascetion, and Eucaligan, with sage Antinor, wise in counsel both. All these were gathered at the Sian gate by age, exempt from war, but in discourse abundant as the cricket that on high from topmost boughs of forest tree sends forth his delicate music, so on Ilium's towers sat the sage chiefs and counsellors of Troy. Helen they saw. As to the tower she came, and 'tis no marvel, one to other said The valiant Trojans and the well grieved Greeks, for beauty such as this should long endure the toils of war, for goddess like she seems, and yet, despite her beauty, let her go, nor bring on us and on our sons a curse thus they but aged priam helen call come here my child and sitting by my side from whence thou canst discern thy former lord his kindred and thy friends not thee i blame but to the god i owe this woeful war Tell me the name of yonder mighty chief among the Greeks, A warrior brave and strong. Others in height surpass him, But my eyes of form so noble never yet beheld, Nor so august. He moves a king indeed. To whom in answer, Helen, heavenly fair, with reverence dearest father and with shame i look on thee oh would that i had died that day when hither with thy son i came and left my husband friends and darling child and all the loved companions of my youth that i died not with grief i pine away but to thy question I will tell thee true. Yon chief is Agamemnon, Atreus' son, wide-reigning mighty monarch, ruler good, and valiant warrior. In my husband's name, lost as I am, I called him brother once. She spoke. The old man, admiring, gazed. And cried, O oh, blessed Atrides, child of happy fate, favoured of heaven, how many noble Greeks obey thy rule. In vine clad Phrygia once I saw the hosts of Phrygian warriors wheel their rapid steeds, and with them all the bands of Otreus and of Migdon. Godlike king, who lay encamped beside Sangarius's stream. I too with them was numbered in the day when met them in the field, the Amazons, the woman warriors, but their forces all reach not the number of the keen eyed Greeks. Ulysses next the old man saw. And asked, "Tell me again, dear child, who this may be, in stature less than Atreus's royal son, but broad-shouldered and of ampler chest. his arms are laid upon the fertile plain, but he himself is moving through the ranks, inspecting like a full fleeced ram." That moves majestic through a flock of snow white ewes. To whom Jove's offspring, Helen, thus replied The wise Ulysses that, Laertes' son, though bred in rugged Ithaca, yet versed in every stratagem and deep device. O woman! then the sage Antenor said, Of these thy words I can the truth avouch. For hither, when on thine account to treat brave Menelaus and Ulysses came, I lodged them in my house and loved them both, and studied well the form and mind of each. As they with Trojans mixed in social guise, when both were standing, or his comrade high with broad-set shoulders, Menelaus stood, seated, Ulysses was the nobler form. Then in the great assembly, when to all their public speech and argument they framed in fluent language, Menelaus spoke in words though few yet clear though young in years no wordy babbler wasteful of his speech but when the skilled ulysses rose to speak with downcast visage would he stand his eyes bent on the ground the staff he bore nor back he waved nor forward but like one untaught he held it motionless. Who only saw would say that he was mad or void of sense, but when his chest its deep-toned voice sent forth with words that fell like flakes of wintry snow, no mortal with Ulysses could compare. Then little reck we of his outward show, at sight of ajax next the old man inquired who is yon other warrior brave and strong towering o'er all with head and shoulders broad to whom in answer helen heavenly fair gigantic ajax that the prop of greece and by his side I, Domineus of Crete, Stands godlike, circled round by Cretan chiefs. The warlike Menelaus welcomed him oft in our palace, When from Crete he came. Now all the other keen-eyed Greeks I see, Whom once I knew, and now could call by name, But two, I miss, two captains of the host, my own two brethren, and my mother's sons Castor and Pollux Castor, charioteer unrivaled, Pollux, matchless pugilist in Lacedaemon have they stayed behind? Or can it be in ocean going ships that they have come indeed, but shun to join the fight of warriors, fearful of the shame? and deep disgrace that on my name attend. Thus she, but they beneath the teeming earth in Lacedaemon lay their native land. Meanwhile the heralds through the city bore the treaty offerings to the gods, the lambs and genial wine, The produce of the soil in goatskin flasks. Therewith a flagon bright, and cups of gold, Ideas brought, and stood beside the aged king, As thus he spoke. Son of Laomedon, arise! The chiefs of Trojan warriors, and of brass-clad Greeks, Call for thy presence on the battle-plain to swear a truce where paris in the midst and warlike menelaus stand prepared with the long spear for helen and the spoils of war to combat that whoe'er may prove the better man in fight may bear away the woman and the spoils in triumph home while we the rest in peace and friendship sworn shall still possess the fertile plains of troy and to their native argos they return for noble steeds and lovely women famed he said the old man shuddered at his words but to his comrades gave command forthwith to yoke his car and they, his word, obey, Priam ascending, gathered up the reins, and with Antinor by his side, the twain drove through the Sian gate, their flying steeds. But when between the opposing ranks they came alighting from the car, they moved on foot between the Trojan and the Grecian hosts up rose then agamemnon king of men up rose the sage ulysses to the front the heralds brought the offerings to the gods and in the flagon mixed the wine and poured the hallowing water on the monarch's hands his dagger then the son of atreus drew suspended as was wont beside the hilt of his great sword, and from the victim's head he cut the sacred lock, which to the chiefs of Troy and Greece the heralds portioned out. Then, with uplifted hands, he prayed aloud, O Father Jove, who rules from Ida's height, most great, most glorious. And thou, sun, who seest and hearest all things, Rivers, and thou, earth, And ye, who after death beneath the earth Your vengeance wreak on souls of men forsworn, Be witness, ye, and this our covenant guard. If Menelaus fall by Paris' hand, let him retain both Helen and the spoil, while in our ships we take our homeward way. If Paris be by Menelaus slain, Troy shall surrender Helen and the spoil with compensation due to Greece, that so a record may to future days remain but paris slain if priam and his sons the promised compensation shall withhold then here my rights in battle to assert will i remain till i the end achieve thus as he spoke across the victim's throats he drew the pitiless blade and on the ground he laid them gasping as the stream of life poured forth their vigour by the blade subdued then from the flagon drawn from out the cups the wine they poured and to the eternal gods they prayed and thus from trojans and from greeks arose the joint petition Grant, ye heavenly powers, that whosoeer this solemn truce shall break, even as this wine we pour, their hearts' best blood, theirs and their children's, on the earth be poured, and strangers in subjection take their wives. Thus they, but Jove. Unyielding, heard their prayer The rites performed, then aged Priam spoke Hear me, ye Trojans, and ye well grieved Greeks To Ilium's breezy heights I now withdraw, for that mine eyes will not endure the sight of warlike Menelaus, and my son engaged in deadly combat of the two which may be doomed to death is only known to jove and to the immortal powers of heaven thus spoke the godlike king and on the car he placed the consecrated lambs himself ascending then he gathered up the reins and with antinor by his side to ilium's walls retraced their homeward way then hector son of priam measured out with sage ulysses joined the allotted space next in the brass-bound helmet cast the lots which of the two the first should throw the spear the crowd, with hands uplifted to the gods, Trojans, and Greeks alike, address their prayer. O Father Jove, who rulest from Ida's height, most great, most glorious, grant that whosoe'er on both our armies hath this turmoil brought may undergo the doom of death, and we, the rest, firm peace and lasting friendship swear. Thus they, great Hector of the glancing helm, with eyes averted, shook the cask, and forth was cast the lot of Paris. The rest lay down by ranks, where near to each were ranged his active steeds and glittering arms. Then, o'er his shoulders, fair-haired Helen's lord, the godlike Paris, donned his armour bright first on his legs. The well-wrought greaves he fix'd, fastened'd with silver clasps, his ample chest, a breastplate guarded by Lycian, lent his brother, but which fitted well his form. Around his shoulders slung, his sword he bore, Brass-bladed, silver-studded, then his shield, Weighty and strong, and on his firm-set head A helm he wore, well wrought, with horsehair plume That nodded, fearful, o'er his brow. His hand grasped the firm spear, familiar to his hold prepared alike the adverse warrior stood they from the crowd apart their armour donned came forth and each with eyes of mutual hate regarded each admiring wonder seized the trojan warriors and the well-grieved greeks as in the centre of the measured ground they stood opposed, and poised their quivering spears. First Paris threw his weighty spear, and struck fair in the midst Atreides' buckler round, but broke not through. Upon the stubborn targ was bent the lance's point. Then thus to jove his weapon hurling menelaus prayed. great king on him who wrought me costless wrong on paris grant that retribution due my arm may bring that men in days to come may fear their host to injure and repay with treacherous wile his hospitable cares," he said, and poising hurled his weighty spear. Full in the midst it struck the buckler round, right through the buckler past the sturdy spear, and through the gorgeous breastplate, and within cut through the linen vest. But Paris Back inclining stooped, and shunned the doom of death. Atrides, then his silver studded sword, rearing on high, a mighty blow let fall on Paris' helm, but shivering in his hand in countless fragments knew the faithless blade. Then thus to Jove, with eyes uplift to heaven, Atrides made his moan. O Father Jove, of all the gods the most unfriendly thou. On Paris's head I hoped for all his crimes to wreak my vengeance due. But in my grasp my faithless sword is shattered, and my spear hath bootless left my hand nor reached my foe then onward rushing by the horsehair plume he seized his foeman's helm and wrenching round dragged by main force amid the well-grieved greeks the broidered strap that passed beneath his beard the helmet held the warrior's throat compressed then had atrides dragged him from the field and endless fame acquired but venus child of jove her favourite's peril quickly saw and broke the throttling strap tough bull's hide in the broad hand the empty helm remained the trophy by their champion, whirled amid the well-grieved Greeks, his eager comrades seized, while he, infuriate, rushed with murderous aim on Priam's son. But him, the queen of love, as gods can only, from the field conveyed, wrapped in a misty cloud. And on a couch, sweet perfumes breathing, Gently laid him down, then went in search of Helen. Her, she found, circled with Trojan dames On Ilium's tower, her by her airy robe The goddess held, and in the likeness Of an aged dame, who oft for her in Sparta, when she dwelt, many a fair fleece had wrought and loved her well, addressed her thus, "Come, Helen, to thy house, come, Paris calls thee in his chamber. He expects thee, resting on luxurious couch in costly garb, with manly beauty graced. Not from the fight of warriors wouldst thou deem he late had come, but for the dance prepared or resting from the dance's pleasing toil she said, and Helen's spirit within her moved, and when she saw the goddess's beauteous neck, her lovely bosom, and her glowing eyes. She gazed in wonder and addressed her thus, "Oh, why, great goddess, make me thus thy sport? seek'st thou to bear me far away from hence to some fair Phrygian or Meonian town, if there some mortal have thy favour gained, or for that Menelaus." in the field hath vanquished Paris, and is willing yet that I, his bane, should to his home return. Here art thou found to weave again thy wiles. Go then thyself, thy godship abdicate, renounce Olympus, lavish here on him thy pity and thy care he may perchance make thee his wife, at least his paramour, but thither go not I, foul shame it were again to share his bed. The dames of Troy will for a byword hold me, and e'en now my soul with endless sorrow is possess To whom in anger heavenly Venus spoke Incense me not, poor fool, lest I in wrath desert thee quite, and as I heretofore have loved, so make thee object of my hate, and kindle twixt the Trojans and the Greeks, such bitter feuds as both shall wreak on thee. She said, and trembled Helen, child of Jove. She rose in silence, in a snow-white veil, All glittering shrouded. By the goddess led she passed, unnoticed by the Trojan dames. But when to Paris's splendid house they came, thronging around her, her attendants gave their duteous service. Through the lofty hall, with queenly grace the godlike woman passed. The laughter loving goddess placed by Paris's side. There Helen sat, the child of Aegis bearing Jove. With downcast eyes, yet with sharp words, she thus addressed her lord back from the battle, would thou there hast died beneath a warrior's arm, whom once I called my husband, vainly didst thou boast erewhile thine arm, thy dauntless courage, and thy spear the warlike Menelaus should subdue. Go now again, and challenge to the fight the warlike Menelaus. Be thou ware, I warn thee? PAUSE! Ere madly thou presume with fair-haired Menelaus to contend, soon shouldst thou fall beneath his conquering spear to whom thus paris. Ring not thus my soul with keen reproaches. Now, with Pallas' aid hath Menelaus conquered, but my day will come. I too can boast my guardian gods, but turn we now to love and love's delights. For never did thy beauty so inflame my sense, not when from Lacedaemon first I bore thee in my ocean going ships, and revelled in thy love on Crane's isle, as now it fills my soul with fond desire he said, and led her to the nuptial couch. Her Lord she followed, and while there reclined upon the richly inlaid couch they lay, Atrides, like a lion, baffled, rushed amid the crowd, if haply he might find the godlike Paris, but not one of all the Trojans and their brave allies could aid the warlike Menelaus in his search not that for love what any one that knew had screened him from his anger for they all abhorred him as the shade of death then thus outspoke great agamemnon king of men hear me ye trojans dardans and allies with warlike menelaus rests Tis plain, the prize of victory. Then surrender ye the Argive Helen, and the spoils of war, with compensation due to Greece, so that a record may to future days remain. Thus he, the Greeks assenting, cheered his words. End of Book 3